to In The Ballpark and we are here on Grand Final Week with an apostrophe S because we don't just have one week worth of Grand Final Fever, we have two. It's a bit of a weird year for all things AFL and this is no exception. Let me welcome the two superstars who will be taking us through the preliminary final carnage that was a 77-point average across the two games that were played. So not the closest, most purest week of footy, but it's fair to say the teams that did win played the purest footy of all. Maxi and Frizy, welcome to the show. And gents, plenty to talk about this week on the build-up to the Brownlow and then next week, the grand final in Perth. Gents, good evening and thrilled to be here once again for another week. I've got to be a little bit extra quiet where I am. They've, it seems like most of the residents have gone asleep. To fill you in a little closer, I am here, of course, at this retirement home where Geelong are conducting their end-of-season function. And as we'll get into very soon, I'm sure, look, just think of all the benefits of that finals exposure to their young players. Um, it's it's going to make the world of difference, I'm sure, for, for years to come. Boys, thrilled to be at it again for another week. They're in Springfield, Fryce. They're going to pick up any new recruits at the retirement village. <laughs> Look, I think that's uh, it's it's part of the exercise here, gents, here is, you know, post-season um, debrief celebration, if you like. But there is a recruiting program happening inside this building as we speak. So... Look, uh, Chris Chris Scott's gearing up for another another tilt at it, 2022, I believe. Frazzy, I can see you've got the hand pump there and you're keeping socially distanced from the facility. Is that gastro still in there to your knowledge? Boys, still very much uh, a work in progress, I think, under management. There's a lot of, um, and speaking of which, good reminder, a lot of protocols here that we've just been <laughs> to follow. So I'm, I'm really glad you pointed that out, Serps, because you can just never be too careful. <laughs> Good to see you taking all precautions at the moment. And Maxi, how are you going from your hub? You're right about the weekend. It was, what, 83 points and 71 points. But, you know, you always look forward to a close preliminary final, but it was such a shock that, you know, it was still kind of fairly interesting to watch, even though it's been a while now. It's Thursday this week we're recording, but, yeah, it was a very interesting couple of days of football. Hard to believe prelim finals being won, particularly both of them, by mm. that kind of margin. I think everyone was thinking on Friday night, who is going to beat the Demons? Saturday yeah. night, it's it might be slightly wet at Adelaide Oval, and who knows? It could be a real scrap, and whatever team coming out of it would be really hoping to get that extra week off to, to rest and recuperate because we're going to see a real slugfest in that second game, but it wasn't to be, and the Doggies did it quite comfortably. Who is the biggest loser out of Port Adelaide and Geelong? Gee, I love the question, Serps, boys. Isn't that isn't that tough? Because it, when you think about, I suppose, the whole, you know, where to next for both the losers, the, the impact of of dropping these games is is devastating for both. Gee, that's a... That's a tough one to call. You know, we know all about um, Geelong's ageing list. It's been well publicised. I mean, I'm, I'm right out the front as we speak. Uh, I can't quite hear the team meetings that are going on in there. So, look, if I get any clearer updates, I'll certainly let you know, guys. But um, you, you look at Port Adelaide's group as well. I mean, there's there's quite a few players there coming up towards their last couple of years type thing in that bracket. So pretty crushing defeat for both. I mean, from a Port perspective, you've probably now two in a row, you would say golden opportunities 
to firstly play in a grand final, but, uh, you know, you put yourself in a home prelim, do the work to get there and can't capitalise on it. I know last year was closer, but this this was quite quite demoralising, really. I think it's the, yeah, it's the nature of these two defeats this week that um, really say a lot. Port Adelaide, I think they've got probably Gray and Boak are the old ones and Boak, Boak looks like he could still play a few more years, but it was probably a bigger loss for Geelong just considering they went all out on Higgins, Cameron especially. I think they spent something like three first-round draft picks and Isaac Smith was the other one. So, And it's been all over social media. You look at the Geelong over 30s or even 29s included, and there's a lot of them. So if I had to say it was a bigger loss for either of those sides, I'd probably say Geelong just because of the nature of their list and they were all cards on the table for this season especially. Sort of felt like in the latter half of the year, though, that they never were really up and going. Um, Sort of felt like, especially in the... After the first one where they got beaten by Port Adelaide and then they came back and beat GWS's, we mainly thought they would. They still weren't that impressive. But on the other hand, Port Adelaide, it's two prelims in a row they've lost, both at home as well. So obviously losing by that amount, you'd think it's going to have some sort of mental scarring. When you see players after a final siren who have lost a preliminary final, sort of just like feels watching it. You never feel further away from winning one than after losing a preliminary final because you know you've got to come back. You've got to do all the work for 12 months ahead just to get another opportunity at it, which Port Adelaide have done now for two years in a row, and they've got to do it all again. So I think it's a bigger loss for Geelong, but I think it's pretty demoralising for both teams. Preliminary finals is the stage where absolutely all the flaws, all the little cracks that you're trying to cement over throughout the home and away season really get exposed Geelong's biggest knock probably in the Chris Scott era is they've got a great home and away record, a game plan that really suits the home and away grind. And bottom six teams can't really compete with Geelong's control of the footy and controlling the tempo of the game. But then you get to the top four teams usually in the last week of September and all of a sudden they're playing a completely different game style that suits finals. It's quick, it's unpredictable, it's frenetic, it's full of pressure. And that exposes Geelong. And then you look at Port Adelaide. And last year, it was probably their back line that was letting them down. They got a Lira Lira, and he's played that Mr. Fix-It role. However, Luke Beveridge goes well. If we take him out of the game, it goes a long way to them winning the game. And you look at the home and away record. Yes, Port Adelaide finished top four, but they lost to a lot of top eight sides during the season. And again, they lose to a team that, yes, finished fifth, but for the majority of the season, were in the top two. So... There you go. Three times in four years, they have lost cutthroat finals at home. So, yeah, a lot of question marks coming out of it for both sides. Boys, little quick update here as well. What, what I think I'm hearing here is from, from, from the discussions going on, they, they do believe that this list, this group of players is in prime position to win the 2014 grand final. 2014. <laughs> Yes, they believe they believe they've got the list in the perfect place to win that. So look, we'll see how that goes. As far as as far as their their plans, that's it. I think I'm also hearing some chatter from your end as well that Sean Burgoyne and Boomer Harvey out of retirement. Fletch, Fletch. I think Fletch is in there as well. Was it Ken or Dustin? <laughs> look, it, as we said, they've they've laid everything on the table. Most of those names are yes, are very much being contacted for that exact reason. They do need a Ruckman. What about our friend, Big Will Minson? 
<laughs> he would be a good choice, and as, as long as Rocket's not an assistant coach, back, I think that would be a pretty safe option. Maxie, you raise a very good point, though, about what the Cats do, and, yeah, we probably all suggest that they will need to go again with this group. But I feel like they will have to make some changes to their game style just to be a little bit quicker. Now, whether that's adding in Quinton Narkel and and Jordan Clark a little bit more, potentially on wings or at half forward, just to get the ball moving a little bit more so they have that option in finals when things aren't going well, when they can't get their hands on the ball, to score a little bit quicker and to actually put some teams under pressure and Mm. create a little bit of uncertainty. I know it hasn't traditionally been Chris Scott's style, but they've got such great scoring power up forward. As we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Tommy Hawkins, it looks like he can play till 2035. And then you've got Jeremy Cameron at the peak of his powers if he stays on the park. So surely create a bit of a game style that really complements just how well they can score. It's interesting you say that because I think it was Adam Ramnaskis on RSN who said um, at the start of this year that with the forward line that Geelong have assembled, they should be averaging close to 120 points per game. And the style that they play is sort of more similar to what the style that West Coast are sort of known for, that kick-mark, kick-mark, kick-mark game. Whereas, I mean, playing that game is sort of, in a way, to defend when you have the ball, which it sort of signals a lack of trust in your defence, whereas you look at Geelong's defence, you'd think they should be able to handle handle themselves pretty well. So I don't know. I'm not here to tell Chris Scott what to do. He knows a lot more than me, but considering the forward line that they've got, the midfield that they've got, and the back line that they've got, I think they'd be, do pretty well to have a more aggressive sort of game plan rather than just the kick mark, kick mark, because... I think it was that the game against Richmond earlier in the year at the MCG where they smashed them. I think it was in the second half. They just completely ran away with it. And they sort of um, left that game plan behind. And we sort of thought that maybe that's how they were going to play against the better teams at that stage. And for whatever reason, I don't know what happened. They sort of just went back to the kick-mark-kick-mark game, which obviously (laughs) it was no good against Richmond last year. And Melbourne sort of plays similar-ish style to Richmond and yeah it's undone them again. So gentlemen we've definitely spoke heavily about the Geelong loss and we thought that that was going to be a standout defeat in this round but all we had to do was wait another 24 or so hours to see absolute carnage unfold at the Adelaide Oval on Saturday night and to be fair if there was going to be carnage we didn't see it to this particular team. Port Adelaide got their pants absolutely pulled down. And again, as we mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, another failed finals campaign, which must hurt them considering the last two seasons, they have managed to get so close, strapping themselves into a preliminary final position at home. Gents, not too many injuries to speak of. A week off and a pretty good run into the finals was a lot of this just better coaching and better execution by the Western Bulldogs, or was this all between the years for the Port Adelaide Football Club? Because, gents, before I let you answer, I'm pretty sure there was something going around called Air Power, but a couple of ex-Port Adelaide players, including one of our favourites on the show, Paddy Carlisle, posted, <laughs> we're going to make it. They created a group, and they were trying to get a charter flight to Western Australia for Port Adelaide's historic grand final. 
And they definitely spoke a little bit too soon. So I put the question to you, was this better execution by the Bulldogs or was this getting a little bit too ahead of themselves being the Port Adelaide Football Club? Perhaps it was both because (laughs) I think the Bulldogs clearly were better coached on the night, but also Port Adelaide usually turn up better, better than that. I mean, like, even after the Bulldogs kicked something, they kicked like seven goals to one in the first quarter. I thought, geez, is, is this a clean, an exact replay of the night before? But I sort of still had was hoping that Port Adelaide were going to eventually find, somehow find their way back into at least making the game competitive. But even from the start when they had Willem Drew on the bench, I know that some people say that he's, he starts on the bench often. For Libba to get, I think Libba got the first two or three clearances in the game and he helps set up one of their first goals. You just thought, what's happening here? And also their defensive matchups against, I think it was Norton or McKenzie, just didn't look like the right matchup for athletic wise. And then you also had Shaki on Aaliyah, who actually did a really good job negating Aaliyah. So when we thought back to the Geelong um, qualifying final, Aaliyah was pretty much best on ground in the first half. And Shaki sort of played back shoulder on him and just he couldn't intercept the ball at all. And then you also had Jonas on Hannon, who, which I sort of thought Jonas would be a better matchup for Norton, whereas Hannon was too quick for him and he took him up the, up the ground and then just beat him on the way back and he kicked three goals. But for me, Port Adelaide, it's all those, when you think of Port Adelaide when they're like really up and going, you think of all their half forward flankers and to me, all of those guys, except for maybe Robbie Gray, had a pretty quiet night. So you think of Rosie's game, Butters, Dersma, Fantasia and Motlop. For most of the night, they were nowhere near it. I know Charlie Dixon sort of gets talked up a lot, but if he, I mean, at best, when he's playing good opposition, he might kick two or three goals. So for Port Adelaide to win, you need to get goals out of those half-forward flankers, which they didn't do all night. And they only kicked 45 points in the end. But... It was mainly the clearances. They only lost by six. It was 35 to 41. The Bulldogs won that midfield battle. But it's been talked about, Ken admits it, whenever Port win clearances, they generally win the game. So the Bulldogs beat them in the middle. And I think Luke Beveridge clearly beat Ken in the coach's box. So all round, I at least expected them to put in a better effort than what they gave. So it was a really disappointing night for them and they'd be gutted. Not too many excuses there. And Fryzy, one of the main sayings that Ken Hinckley has for his group is you get what you deserve in footy. And Fryzy, it's fair to say they got what they deserved. Gee, I want to just start by saying as well for that uh, particular supporter group there that uh, may have gone a bit early there with their grand final preparations, gee, if they did, in fact, uh, do so, I truly hope they bought refundable tickets. I must say it, it, it evokes some memories uh, for, for mine of that uh, that final about six, seven years ago, the one that was also at the Adelaide Oval. However, it was Port on top that day where they, where they sort of banged on seven or eight goals to one against Richmond in the first quarter. The, uh, the infamous uh, kicking, kicking the wrong way, was that, was that, yeah. that, that particular game? I think the only really uh, satisfied people a dog supporters in this instance because seven goals to one in the first quarter of a prelim, it's terrible for Port Adelaide and not great for the neutral fan watching either. Yeah, goodness me, it, it, it just uh, could not have ended on a more sour note for them. I, I, I don't know. Do we do we perhaps see this as a um, just a really incredibly off night that um, Port will will want to forget, or is it perhaps more you know reflective of? Maybe where their side's really at compared to the rest of the top eight, just just given, you know, we 
we spoke about, you know, their season and not always competing with the other top eight sides, perhaps as, as well as you'd like to, particularly hosting a prelim final. Um, yeah, do you think is uh, is there perhaps an element of truth in this result? Perhaps not the margin, but uh, just the fact that you know, they weren't able to to get it done. Probably because I think you mentioned it before, sir. What was their record against top eight sides for the year? Very shabby. Very, very, <laughs> very shabby. They've lost, to, they've lost to Brisbane, the Bulldogs, Geelong, Melbourne, and West Coast when they were in the top eight. So there already is four or five games that they should have won if they wanted to be taken seriously. I thought they only beat like one or maybe two um, top eight teams for the year. And obviously one of them would have been us in round two when they flogged us. Correct. Correct. <laughs> and I think the Dogs was, um, was the other uh, yeah. In the very last round. When I just picture Port Adelaide in my head, I picture them as one of the better teams, but perhaps it is a a better reflection of you still got to beat the better teams if you want to end up in a grand final. But also, Western Bulldogs were in the top two for the majority of the year, and it was just that last three weeks where they fell off a cliff. And (laughs) somehow, to bring Essendon back into it, retrospectively, how do we look at our elimination final now that the Bulldogs are in the grand final? Yeah, it makes it look quite a lot better, doesn't it? It shows that um, perhaps the Bulldogs were always a chance to contend and um, that, that Essendon really up against it in, in terms of, you know, probably wasn't a true 5v8 uh, scenario, was it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely feeling a lot better about that result now. And I think the other thing as well was at least we're in that game at halftime. I think there was only three yeah. points in it. And you look at the game on the weekend, it was pretty much over at halftime. I think... Just after three-quarter time, it's almost as if Ken Hinkley gave him a bit of a boost up, gave him a bit of a rev up, and the power came out swinging, kicked a couple of early goals, but I thought it was very telling. The moment where big Marcus Bontempelli on the mark, Mr. Fix-It, gets a fingertip, and the arc, of course, Fryzy, where you were on the weekend, did a good job to pick up the deviation with the ball and the fingertips, and after that point in time, it was it was game, set, match. It was all over. And Marcus Bondampelli, the man who we feared wouldn't be able to get through that game, looked normal, looked fine. So he's got another couple of weeks to rest and they'll get Alex Keith back for the grand final, which we'll touch on. Cody Waitman comes back from that concussion and they're going to be a very tantalising prospect for the Demons, which we will touch on shortly. But, yeah, gents, finally, just on Port Adelaide, I mean... What can they do in the off-season to ensure that they can take the next step? I mean, we're looking at their list at the moment and they do have a good first pick. Do they need more inside midfielders or what particularly do they need to potentially go to the next level? Or is it all mentality, gents? I think it's mostly midfield depth because as good as Wines was on the weekend, Boak was not his normal self. And I sort of thought, considering... um, the Western Bulldogs midfield and also Melbourne's midfield that we'll talk about in a in a moment. I think they're one or two really good, probably A-grade midfielders short. So whether that comes from the natural growth of Rosie and Butters who might spend more time in the midfield in, in the years to come or whether or not they go out and try and get someone someone in through trade or free agency. Whenever I think about Port Adelaide, I still can't get my head around why, why they got rid of Dougal Howard in the first place because... To me, he's one of the players that they need desperately because if he was there, then he could have easily played played against probably Norton because McKenzie, as good as he has been, I don't think he's up to playing against those really athletic types of forwards who run and jump at the ball. 
And if he was also there, that allows a lead to play on basically whoever he wants. He doesn't need to play on a, a taller forward. So, and Jonas, as good as he is, he's only, I think he's only like 190, so he can't play on the big monsters and go with them toe-to-toe. So I think there is there is a few holes on their list. So I'm sure they're pretty good in the trade space, usually Port Adelaide and the draft space, considering all the players that they've picked up through through all of those means in the last few years. So I'm sure they'll go to work and fix a few of those holes. It, it's an interesting time. Um, next probably two off-seasons, I would have thought, for them is is critical uh, for probably for the future of, uh, of Kenny as well, I would have thought. Not saying that that's uh, in dispute or anything like that because um, it, it probably shouldn't be. But, uh, look, going that next step is, you know, now, um, yeah, I feel like there's a little bit of make or break about them right now. Now, gentlemen, let's go from the loser on Saturday night to the winner on Friday night, and it was the Melbourne Demons booking themselves in their first grand final since 2000. It's a phenomenal effort considering just how low they fell after that fateful day. I know you're not meant to enjoy big blowouts, but I think just about every single Melbourne fan did. How incredible was this night and what a celebration of footy and what a celebration of their club and in particular their big man, Max Gorn. What an incredible night it was, gentlemen. It was insane because I think that first quarter they kicked five goals to one and then towards the end of that first quarter, Stephen May went off with that suspected hamstring and you thought, oh, hang on, maybe Geelong will be able to take advantage of this. But I think in the say in the second quarter it was four goals apiece, so at halftime it was nine goals to five. So you sort of thought maybe Geelong can just chip away, chip away. But in that third quarter, it was eight goals to none, and Maxi Gorn just took took the game away from um from Geelong. But <laughs> but you're right, it was a it was a blowout that third quarter. But you couldn't take your eyes off it. Just it was just almost perfect football. And you know, I think that everyone was talking about it going into into the game that that you sort of thought whether or not that prelim of 2018 at in Perth would have played any you know if they would have had any demons in their mind going into that game, but. Yeah, that that third quarter was just insane. Maxi Maxi Gorn kicking that goal from he was like sixty out. He was just kicking goals from any, everywhere. But yeah, mid, their midfielders were on fire. Gorn, Oliver, Petrarca, Viney played really well, um, and also Langdon and Brayshaw on the wings as well as Arms. But also their small forwards. So you've got Pickett, Spargo, and Neil Bullen. So Geelong, I've always I should have touched on this before, but. Whenever the ball was on the ground in the Melbourne forward line, you just thought Geelong were in a lot of trouble because those guys put on a lot of pressure. But, yeah, that what were you guys thinking in that third quarter? Because it was just everything went Melbourne's way. Wasn't the first 10 minutes or so of that third quarter just some of the most incredible um, scenes you've, you know, you've seen finals match or not? Um, not that, you know, it was looking very positive for Geelong at halftime, but you think, okay, Roughly 30 points, I think it was. Um, I think the result, one that we we thought we knew which way it would go. But as you mentioned, you know, there's a few little factors there that you just think, well, it's too early yet to say. I mean, you only look at that Geelong-Melbourne game from three weeks ago down at Geelong. In general, guys, for the two uh, considerable winners, of course, a previous segment on this show as well, I should add back in that, the infancy days of in the ballpark hey, – can you recall an instance of both prelim finals with 10-plus goal defeats? I, I had a bit of a look recently and there weren't any. No. <laughs> no. There's usually one big blowout, but then 
there's usually another one that's quite close or maybe a couple of goals in it. And and sometimes you get really close prelims, but by the time the grand final comes around, maybe a team that's had to play every single game of the final series goes into that grand final like GWS and they're just absolutely out of legs and it's a blowout. But, you know, with both teams winning so convincingly, you just hope that that's the sort of, you know, mouth-watering contest that we're looking for. Think of the individual games, you know, the, the names like uh, Ablett, um, Hodge, Judd, potentially Nick Rewalt. Um, I think on his day, uh, James Hurd was capable of that on many an occasion. Lloydy. Yeah. Scotty uh, Lucas's last quarter. Scotty. <laughs> Funny we mentioned games in Perth. Scotty Lucas just puts the entire team on his back and nearly wins it. I've got to say, though, I, it, the unique and wonderful thing about this, though, is not very often you see that from a Ruckman, though. I'm, no. I'm, I'm racking my brain trying to think of such dominant performances uh, in a single game by a Ruckman. And, well, certainly not in, in recent years. There's none, there's none that, uh, that jump out. Maybe Big Cox every now and again, he used to do some good things. But, I mean, this was like another level, particularly the goal kicking and, you know, the tackling pressure. I mean, it's extraordinary. And speaking of tackling pressure, a couple of honourable mentions from this game. I thought Jack Viney's first half was unbelievable. I mean, I think he ended up with over 34 disposals. But just the way he led that team, you could tell he was a man on a mission. I mean, he was one of those players who got his pants pulled down in that 2018 prelim. And you could just see he had a point to prove. And his tackling pressure, his ferocity around the ground was incredible. And he was one of those shining lights that really, you know, created that hardness around the ball that allowed the Demons to play that slick footy on the outside. And then you had, as you mentioned, players like Christian Salem, who's been playing so well all year. He just... He doesn't panic. He doesn't look like he'll get beaten. He's just such a a great user of the footy. And he's been one of those unheralded heroes this season for the Demons. And he had another great night on Friday night. I mean, I could mention so many more. They just had such an all-round performance. But, gents, how good was it, you know, in that last, probably that last quarter, to be perfectly honest with you, the interchange bench, you had Petrarca, you had Oliver, you had Max Gorn there, you had all the big stars, obviously, Stephen May there with his hamstring niggle. They were all sitting on the bench and they were just soaking it up. Jake Lever on there as well, all soaking it up, just knowing that that moment was theirs. What about the Mexican wave they had going in the crowd? Just on the crowd, it seemed like 80% Melbourne and only like 20% Geelong. So I'm not sure whether or not like Melbourne people have somehow gone to Perth or whether or not they just have a huge supporter base in Perth. It sure was. It was a sea of red, more or less, wasn't it, in that stadium? And look, I know we've said it before because we've seen it before for the last three or four seasons, but it does look and sound quite spectacular that stadium when it's uh when it's full uh, i'm also glad that you raised that point as well though about uh about melbourne putting their four of their very best on the bench at the end there must be no more satisfying feeling as a fan seeing that late in the last quarter of a prelim you know that you you go into a grand final and you um and and all all of your stars are, are going there as well. It, it yeah, it must be a, a truly special feeling. Not really one that any of us on this podcast can um, explain very well. Of course, do you remember? I think it was some of the St Kilda prelims. It must have been one of the ones that they won. Where I think Ross Lyon had like five or six of his best plays off the ground. And that was like before the um, before the sub was in in the yeah. competition as well. Whether it was finals or not. <laughs> We spoke about uh, a few years back resting the players 
and whatnot. He had a creative way of doing some things, Ross, didn't he? Have you got your tad there? <laughs> Glad you mentioned it because it's <laughs> always with me. Ross rarely goes without a mention on this show, so it doesn't matter how long it took, gents. I'm glad it came up. Now, gentlemen, let's get on to the other massive winner, the considerable winner of that preliminary final, which was the Western Bulldogs, and they set up a grand final, the spirit of 1954, where, ironically, the Western Bulldogs last won their final before 2016. So, ironically, it was against the Ds, and, wow, a lot has changed since then. But, gents, how convincing were the Bulldogs? And have we finally found, if it's not Max Gorn, have we finally found a guy with an incredible hairstyle that is ripping this final series apart? Bailey Smith, another four goals. But um, it's interesting because his last two finals, obviously, he's been close to best of ground. I can't remember how well he played against us in in the elimination final, whether it must have been fairly good, but not, not outstanding. But... Yeah, like we couldn't believe what was happening because, you know, I think we've spoken about it a couple of times already, but you just, you just thought it can't be another blowout. And as soon as it started, it's like this is an exact repeat. I think it was five goals to one in, in the first quarter. And, you know, Port Adelaide, I think you, you mentioned it before, they never really got into it except for I think they kicked two goals in back-to-back in the, I think it was the third quarter. And then Bontempelli overturned that goal, which wasn't to be. The Bulldogs, as I said before, they won clearances and they were just too good for for Port Adelaide, particularly in in their forward line with Smith kicking four goals, Hanning kicking three goals and Norton just flying at everything. But it was almost an exact repeat of the night before and it's almost a perfect matchup because to me, like those two midfielders, the two midfields, when you put them together, I suppose the ruck is the main department, which is going to be a slight worry for the Bulldogs. But if you think about Gorn, Petrarca, Oliver, Viney, Langdon, Brayshaw and Harms versus Martin or, and or English, and then Bont, McRae, Libba, Chalor, Smith and Dunkley, as well as others. So, yeah, that Bulldog midfield was just, it, it was incredible on, on the weekend. And, yeah, I can't wait to see what, what these two midfielders going going against each other in a week's time. And Maxi, not to mention one of those other quality midfielders who does play a little bit on the outside, Adam Trelaw. I mean, he absolutely mm. copped it in the media, didn't he, since that Brisbane Lions game where he probably didn't put his best foot forward, but this week he was emphatic, wasn't he, with his efforts? And not to mention a nice little finish as well there. It's an incredible 12 months considering that, you know, he's been basically got kicked out of Collingwood. Um and then he had to go through that trade period last year where he didn't know what was happening. And now Colin would have finished what they finished, second last or something, and he is sitting there in a grand final. So, yeah, he's definitely the winner out of that deal. Anyone named Bailey at this point uh, in that Bulldogs side, wow. My goodness me, that, that midfield, as you, as you touched on it, it, for me it was watching that that game. It was all about that. I mean, arguably got the two strongest uh, midfield groups at the moment. Um, Melbourne's particularly with, with Gorn and, um, yeah, going at it next week. That's – that's. Uh, I'm really glad that was brought up because it's it's got to be the the big focus coming into that game. Praising, again, it's another previous segment in the in the ballpark uh, archives as well. You, Praise you have- days. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Rest in peace. <laughs> there it is. You'd, you'd, you'd have to hand it to this midfield because um, – they they monster 
opponents at times that they would be, um, you know, quite daunting to come up against. And uh, I look all in that perfect age bracket now to to potentially go all the way. I mean, you could argue when they did uh, five years ago when a few of these guys currently obviously weren't there, um, they were almost before their time. It's almost as if they, mm. um, they, they hit that point perhaps too early, you know, earlier than you might have expected them to. So... Look, uh, I know we've we've said it, but it it sets up an incredible contest, really, doesn't it? Bit of a correlation there between the Hawthorne side because they won their first flag in two thousand and eight, and everyone said it, that was before their time. And then five years later, they won their second in two thousand and thirteen. So Bulldogs won their first in two thousand sixteen, and now it's five years later in twenty twenty one. So yeah, a bit of a similarity there. That's a very good similarity, Maxie, because. As we know, Luke Beveridge was one of Alastair Clarkson's understudies, so incredible if we get a Bulldogs dynasty potentially in this era. It would be good to see, considering they've only got two premierships to their name in their entire history. Hey, if they didn't have that dip, they wouldn't have got our blonde, mulleted friend in Bailey Smith, who had 23 disposals, four goals, and he hasn't missed a game, Jen, since 2019 in his debut season, so quite an incredible run of form. And Fryzy, as long as Stefan Martin stays away from the Springfield retirement castle there, mate, he should be on the park on the weekend. But, gentlemen, what an incredible wrap we've had today. Great to see you there, Fryzy, keeping your distance from that castle. And, of course, me here in Turak getting around the Melbourne Demon supporters who are out in many, many numbers, that is for sure. I don't know if this is Eddie Maguire's house, by the way. I'm not too sure whether he's getting dressed up there, but... What an incredible week of football we have coming up. And next week, we'll be talking all about the grand final. We are going to preview it down to an inch of its life. Maxi and Fryzy, thank you very much for your time today on In the Ballpark. Quick Brownlow tip, I'm going for Bond. I like that. Uh, I think I'll have, uh, I'll have Josh Kelly at this stage, I think. Josh Kelly. Left wow. field. So, who are you going? Oh, gee, it's it's a real tough one. I reckon Jack Steele's going to poll a lot of votes, being one of those main men at St Kilda. Right, but I, I am like going to go Clayton Oliver. Clayton Oliver, all right. I like that as well. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today, and thank you for listening to In the Ballpark. Most appreciated again. Enjoy the week off. Uh, find as many grand final replays or whatnot as you can. Get them out and uh, look forward to that preview. See you next week.